Emergency, the exits are here, 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 anywhere. Keep your hands and arms inside the carpet. We name is Hades, Lord of the Dead. Hi, how you doing? We dance, we kiss, we schmooze, we carry on, we go home happy. What do you say? Come on. I only hope that we never lose sight of one thing that was all started by a mouse. Welcome to the Disney Guys Uncensored. This is episode 145, recorded on June 13th, 2022. We are your hosts, Guy, Tim, and Bub. On tonight's episode, we take a look at some of our favorite outdoor dining locations and some of our favorite beat-the-heat treats from the parks, resorts, and more. So hang on to them hats and glasses, because this here's the wildest podcast in the wilderness. Tim? Not a big news week, but some big stories in the week. Uh, Victoria's and Alberts, we finally have an opening date on that one. Uh, it's going to be July 28th. Reservations are available starting June 20th. Uh, some of the prefix options, which is the only options available at this restaurant, have had significant price range increases up to $100 more than during before the shutdown. Uh, as is kind of we're seeing across the board with uh, high-end dining increases even outside of Disney. Uh, this is the only uh, AAA five-diamond restaurant in the state of Florida still, uh, though uh, the Michelin Guide did come out this week, and due to its closure, Victoria and Alberts was not rated in this round of the Michelin Guide, but Orlando has, I believe, four restaurants that received a Michelin star which is pretty unprecedented for uh, Central Florida. So I will be interested to see what happens now that Victoria Alberts has some real stiff competition for people looking for that caliber of food in Orlando. Also, I wonder what this means for Takomi Tei, the other very high-end restaurant in Walt Disney World located in the Japan Pavilion in Epcot. Uh, hopefully this means that that will be reopening soon, especially with the return of cultural ambassadors in Japan really opening up in June. Hopefully we'll see that by the end of the summer or early fall reopening. Speaking of early fall, 2023 Walt Disney World vacation packages are now available for booking on the resort's official website. Uh, fewer off-peak days mean generally rates have trended higher for 2023, but I don't think there is ever been a year where some price increases have not happened for Walt Disney World vacations, be it for park tickets or hotel rates. So this is kind of the norm. Uh, the reimagined Finding Nemo opened for press previews as previously stated everywhere, including this podcast last week. But the public previews opened early this weekend as well. Uh, the new show, we know the structure. It is about 20 minutes shorter than the old version. So we're talking about a 25-minute show. It still contains most of your favorite songs from that musical that are original to that musical. All the puppets, all the costumes, all the sets. But a huge improvement, instead of using those kind of cut, kite-like streamer backgrounds, it has a full LED slash LCD uh, motion graphics video wall behind it to really increase the depth and dynamism 
uh, in that show. From what I've heard and what I've seen, uh, reviews have been really positive. I know um, I'm a little disappointed that the 45-minute runtime has kind of been cut down to this 25-minute more traditional length for a theme park show. But I think a lot of people would think that 45 minutes is a lot to give up of your Walt Disney World day, especially if you is a once in a lifetime or you know once every five ten year type trip. Um, I'm just glad to see such an innovative and uh, exciting show that we talked about a lot. If you go back a couple weeks uh, to our favorite live entertainment episode, uh, to be back in the parks. You guys have any thoughts on the, this reimagined Finding Nemo show? Um, I mean, honestly, not really. I, I've never seen the actual good version, so I can't imagine the short version is going to be. Uh, better, but I, I know Disney. It's a Broadway type show, um, high quality. But unfortunately, I'm a I'm a bad seed here. Yeah, no, it doesn't make you a bad seed guy. It means that you valued your time differently when you used to go on trips. It's perfectly acceptable. I personally am excited to get a little tie-in to Finding Dory as well. Uh, if you go back to our Pixar rankings, way back in like single-digit episodes. Um, I don't love the sequel movies, Tim, except for Toy Story. I think the sequel movies have been lackluster at best. Um, but I am happy that Finding Dory does get some uh, love or some representation in in this new version of the musical. Uh, but it's really a st- I, go see it. I, I'm sure this version is as advertised. And, and like Tim said, the technical upgrades and stuff like that make this a must do if you go to Animal Kingdom. And what is quite possibly the biggest story of the week coming out of Disney, not the parks, but the home office back in California, Bob Chapek has fired Disney General Entertainment Chairman Peter Rice. Uh, According to industry sources, he was in Chapek's office for all of seven minutes and was dismissed with, now is not the time for questions. You're not, just not a good fit. Uh, Industry sources are saying with JPEG's contract up for imminent renewal and all analysts saying that JPEG will be renewed. He did view Rice as a potential threat, maybe not on this contract cycle, but maybe on the next. Uh, Rice is the former head of Fox and a beloved and respected figure in the entertainment industry. Uh, He will probably have no trouble landing. There was also a lot of time left on his contract, so Disney will be paying him a pretty generous golden parachute on the way out. Uh, this is really interesting. Uh, nobody saw this coming. No no insiders, no entertainment sources. Uh, it seems like a lot of people at the company were shocked. Uh, Bob, you seem to have a lot of thoughts on this. Uh, what do you think about this? So... Let me just say that the hatchet is at it again. It's not something that is unprecedented for him. Um, Listen, the the thing is, the thing is here that if Bob Chapek is hearing the footsteps to use a, to borrow a sports terminology here, I think that's a good thing for a lot of different reasons. We don't necessarily do this type of podcast that often, Tim, where we do break down executive roles and and leadership and the board and everything like that. The board did come out in support of Bob Chapek. I would expect nothing less in this instance than for the board to come out in support of their CEO, especially because let's be honest, I know the stock is hovering around a hundred or a little bit more than a hundred, a little less, but it's, 
it's it's maintaining a, a discipline in this instance, in this era. And I know people are going to say, well, uh, the parks are busier than they've ever been. I know. The parks are busy. The, the system sucked. They're nickel and diming you. And we are the first people on this podcast world to tell you we hate some of the nickel and diming. We really do. The fact that Bob Chapek has kept this company profitable for the last three and a half years it is the mark of a true great businessman. That's what he is. Bob Chapek as a public face of a company fails miserably every time he says something. As a businessman, Bob Chapek, there's nobody better to run that company than Bob Chapek right now. My concern... I mean, Bob Chapek would fail to be the face of a pharmaceutical company, of yeah. a, a food manufacturing company, of a paper company. Like, he is not yeah, a, a public not face who of he CEO is. in that... It, but after coming from the you know Eisner into Iger, where yep. that's what people are used to, is is the chairman of Disney is also a celebrity in their own right, and also a business leader that other business leaders look up to. I think right. that's why the public perception of Chapek is so bad. I mean, people Correct. who would never care about a CEO ever yep. care deeply about Bob Chapek and think yep. he is the worst business executive ever when. To a, a board of directors, Bob Chapek is is a dream candidate in a lot of ways, especially yep. since he seems to just this, this all this criticism seems to slide right off that wax bald head of his. You know, yeah. he absorbs the public's absolute hate and just keeps on rolling, and it doesn't seem to affect his decision making process. And, and now, as we're headed into what a lot of people are thinking is is, is a recession. This seems like, again, the type of person who, who it's a no-brainer for the board to renew that contract on. Yeah. I, I think the thing with the, the Peter Rice firing is that – or I'm sorry, the Peter Rice departing the company. What's uh, Departing the company is what he's doing. Is the woman taking over Dana Walden it is no joke as an executive. Dana Walden is an excellent I, – I don't want to make this a – Peter Rice versus Dana Walden versus Bob Chapek versus Tom Staggs versus any of the names that have come and gone through that door because it, it's such a, a targeted thing where I don't know that Peter Rice was doing a bad job. By all accounts, Peter Rice was doing a great job, but it is well within Bob Chapek's rights as the CEO of the company to decide that he wants Dana Walden to run that branch of the company. And I don't think Listen, I'll be the first to tell you I'm not a Bob Chapek fan on a public face, but as a privately held, publicly traded company, Tim said it, I've said it, I, I think Guy has said it before in a couple episodes, I know Jordan and Andrew had said it, he's not Bob Iger, but he has guided them through arguably the most difficult financial time in the last 10 years for this company, and he's done it in his own way that is not Bob Iger in any way, but you know what you're getting with him at this point. And, and guy, I don't want to, you know, take up too much. Cause I, I know that this could bore people, but ultimately what did you, you were hot on the move too. When you, when the article broke, when the story broke in the times, I think it was, you were hot on it. Yeah. So what, the way I feel about him is he's kind of, you know, a lot like George Steinbrenner. Um, he takes big swings. He has, you know, big wins, big losses. He's not afraid to do it. And a lot like the Yankees, Disney has a ton of money behind him. And when you have a ton of money, 
you can take risks like that and not be affected too much. Um, it doesn't really matter who they put in place. When you have that kind of money to throw at problems, it makes making great content a lot easier. And mm-hmm. Disney has probably 15 great minds who could come in and fill that role. Um, you know, it's a shame what happened to him, but he's going to bounce back too. He'll definitely get a nice, cushy studio gig. Like Tim said, he's getting that golden parachute. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is kind of what it is, unfortunately. This is Bob Chapek's world, and we all live in it. Yeah. I mean, this is the fourth major firing in the last 18 months or so uh, carried out by by Bob Chapek. And you could argue that Tom Staggs leaving the company was more of a based on he did not get Chapek's position. He was always considered to be Bob Iger's heir apparent to the company. Um, but Catherine Powell got fired. She was very good. And there are rumors, Tim, and I will say as much as I did say there was a vote of confidence per se or a a public su- public show of support for Bob Chapek. There are rumors in the trade magazines as they, as they were that do say Catherine Powell, Tom Staggs. Those are two names that if Bob Chapek did end up not getting his contract renewed, that those two people in particular may be front runners to come and run the company. Um, even on, even if Iger came back on in an interim basis while they conducted the search, which is the prevailing theory that Bob Iger would come back uh, to kind of be a placeholder until they did their due diligence on someone like Catherine Paul or Tom Stacks. It's very interesting. Personally, I think Chapek keeps the job for another contract. I, I don't know if he survives two more contracts. Good, good insights, Bob. And that is all the news that's fit to read uh, this week. And on to our main topic, a little bit more lighthearted than that, and a, a, a fan favorite. We'll do a dining show for you guys. Specifically, talk about some of our favorite outdoor and summer dining options at Walt Disney World Resort, and some of our favorite treats to either beat the heat or eat outside. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, Bub, take it away. You know, it's funny when we talked about this, and we all, all three of us agreed that this would be a good topic. It, it's been nice out. Uh, did we forget that Florida summers maybe aren't the best time to be eating outside when it's 200 degrees with the humidity level? Because we, we, we're here in New England, and I mean, it's 75 degrees and beautiful out right now. And we're saying, shit, I ate my lunch outside today. It was great. It was. Yeah, we sat on a picnic table, me and my coworkers, and, and ate our lunch. I... I, I so afterwards, when we were doing this, I said to myself, is this really a great episode topic? Should we be recommending to people to eat outside? The more I thought about it, there's nothing better than alfresco dining. I think people do love doing it. I think it can be done right all year long in Disney. I think there are some disclaimers, and I was reading an article by Brooke McDonald, Tim. Uh, as you know, she, she does a lot of different things. And she had kind of touched on the benefits of eating outside versus, you know, eating inside restaurant and whatnot. Um, a couple of things she did mention, and, and this is, is, is I think a pretty important step. If you make a reservation at a restaurant with the idea to eat outside and weather isn't cooperating on that day, let's say it's, it's hurricane season or it's a thunderstorm, lightning storm. If you go to the desk and explain the situation, Nine times out of ten, there will be no penalty 
or or reservation cancellation fee for that. You should be able, if you explain to them, hey, listen, we were looking forward to eating outside by the water or or whichever your persuasion is, you should be able to cancel that reservation same day uh, right to that point. And also, I, I think as much as we're going to talk about eating outside, if you're not if you don't want to do it, don't don't do it because we're telling you to. Do because you want to. I mean, it, it does get hot. It does rain quite a bit. But I, I think I'm excited. I think we have a lot of good, solid ideas for where you guys can go get uh, alfresco dining, dining outside, even takeout windows. Um, so I'm excited. Guy, Tim, if you guys have nothing else to add, we can jump into it unless you guys have something else to add into this little intro. Tim? I just want to – I mean, outdoor dining at Disney does not necessarily mean – eating on like an outdoor sidewalk or patio like you'd find typically in, in a city or, or, or New England town or wherever you're from. Uh, it, it, it's oftentimes because of the the weather, especially in the summer in the outdoor signing season in Florida, uh, is often covered, maybe has even one or two walls and a roof. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so outdoor dining and weather don't necessarily not mix. Um, that said, uh, some some of the experiences in the summer at Disney uh, are only outdoor dining, uh, and and I think we're going to talk about a couple of them when it comes to some mm-hmm. of the different stands and and temporary food options. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Guy, anything you want to get out of the way before we head into our magical lists of things? No, I mean I just think that when you're taking a break, even in as hot as Florida gets, when you're sitting down, just relaxing versus walk in, rush into everything. It really doesn't feel that hot out, which is crazy. So even being outdoors is very comfortable at Disney. Apparently, Guy is trying to lie to you all again, but that's okay. That's all right, Guy. That's what we do here. We we pump people's tires. I'm going to start us off. I'm going over to Disney Springs in the town landing area, the landing area. I'm going not to the boathouse, which is also a great option, or, or Jock Lindsay's Hangar Bar, which I think is also a great option. I'm going to Paradiso 37, which is a quasi-Brazilian barbecue place with American-style fare. Um, they have... <coughs> One of the largest patio decks overlooking Lake Buena Vista, which is the, the lake right outside in in, in Disney Springs. Um, reservations are available. I've had the steak here. It's really good. A couple of guys I went with when we went down a few years ago, uh, I believe one of them you know, got some sort of like lobster sandwich. It was some sort of seafood sandwich. It was excellent. Um, it's one of those low-key establishment guys that isn't probably as popular as somewhere like Wine, by, Wine Bar George or, or Morimoto Asia or even the Edison, which is right next door. This is one of the more low-key restaurants uh, at Disney Springs, and reservations are usually pretty easy to come by here. So I don't know if either of you have been, but uh, the, the back patio is is an absolute beautiful place. And like you said, Tim, got an overhang. They have some ceiling fans. It's, it's really well, nicely appointed. It, it's a really nice little back patio to grab a, to grab a bite to eat. So I've never been here, uh, but when I saw it on your list, I looked it up. Uh, menu looks great. Uh, the dining area looks fantastic. Uh, definitely a great choice. Probably something that a lot of the listeners have been sleeping on. Uh, I definitely plan on checking it out the next time I'm down in Disney Springs. Yeah. Hey, ask your wife. It's a very easy reservation to get. She'll tell you. I have also never been here. Uh, the the South American-inspired uh, menu is a little meat-heavy for, for me. Uh, yes. And also, as you pointed out, it is kind of right next to, as far as bars go, uh, the Edison, which is kind of the best craft cocktails, as I've mentioned a lot on mm-hmm. property. And then right next to that is, is my favorite outdoor bar space in Disney Springs in, in Jock Lindsay's, yep. which um, – 
I did unfortunately couldn't squeeze in in the way that we did our list, but uh, really, really was uh, my like number four uh, on this list. It, great patio with its own dedicated outdoor bar. Yep. Uh, the small plates there are real fun, good shareables, fantastic drinks. And in addition to the traditional patio, they also have a uh, Jungle Cruise style boat that acts as another large outdoor table that you can either share with strangers or if you're there in a large party. So that's really, uh, I mean, every single trip, uh, Rachel and I go to outdoor bar spot uh, when we're in Disney mm-hmm. Springs. Yeah, I think for sure. I think that's what you ran into at Disney Springs is people, I think, overlook some of the, even Jock Lindsay's, Tim, I, I feel like gets overlooked by a certain amount of people. Um, obviously, the boathouse doesn't. Um, uh, Wine Bar George, like we said, doesn't. Uh, Art, uh, Art Smith's Homecoming does not get overlooked. Those higher-end restaurants constantly are booked. You can get places, and I think Guy's going to – well, Guy's not going to talk about one right now, but there are certainly restaurants that we will talk about later on that are. Uh, Guy, you have a very interesting heavy hitter because it's, it's, it's somewhere that we talked about as being a place that – has seating around the whole lagoon so yeah so what i did for my first one i mean la cantina which for me i always call it wine cellar because i'm italian and that's what it means in italian even though it clearly doesn't mean that in uh in spanish um but the reason why this is a great choice for me um it's something we go to every single time um you never can go wrong when you're gonna drink around the world to start with that top shelf margarita um the views there are great um you really get a hub for uh the whole promenade it's a real great starting point um and then what i like to do personally like i said you start with that margarita you work your way around you drink around the world and then you stop in uh you get a nice plate of tacos and some chips and guac to kind of end the day before you kind of saunter over to the monorail or the buses um the views are great it's great for uh fireworks it's a great people watching spot it kind of really has the best of everything um it's probably my favorite spot in all the world showcase um i would definitely recommend it highly gotta say guy you uh you stole my number one with a bullet this was what i had in mind when i suggested the topic uh also my favorite spot in, in world showcase by a mile uh, they do have a great selection of margaritas there uh, on ice, but you can walk right across the street uh, to the margarita stand outside the, the Mexico Pyramid itself and grab any of those frozen ones or any of the other ones on ice and bring them right across to the patio here. Uh, this place also has probably the single best deal on property for food. And uh, I'm almost afraid to say this because I feel like if this gets out, I know some other Disney content creators have talked about this before. <laughs> that Disney's going to figure this out and raise the price. So uh, their black beans are fantastic. And uh, you can get a side of them, a huge cup of them for like $2, two bucks. I think it went up to two twenty-five this year. Uh, and then you get a side of chips, uh, which I think is another like two bucks. Mm-hmm. And the side of queso, which is 75 cents. And you have yourself chips and queso and the black beans to dip it in for like less than five bucks, or I guess with the 25 cent, for five bucks, you have yourself chips and black beans and queso. It's bigger than most of the quick service meals on property. For five bucks, great little, uh, you know, thing to share while you're having your margaritas on that covered patio, uh, uh, which has plenty of fans. Uh, 
if you go there at night, some of the best views of whatever nighttime spectacular is running at Epcot at the time. Uh, and really just a one uh, awesome place. The food in general is great there. And then the the chips and beans and cheese hack is uh, just takes it over the top for me, at least. Yeah, I mean, clearly the thing with La Cantina, with Mexico in general, I think because Mexican food is so prevalent in a lot of places, I feel like the Mexico Pavilion gets overlooked for being as top shelf as you guys have said it is. I think that because we can all go, uh, Mexican cuisine is so popular everywhere that it's so accessible. It's not quite like... Like Tim, I don't think he's going to talk about it too much tonight, but he's already mentioned that the Japanese steakhouse and, and the Japanese restaurants in the Japan Pavilion are much more decidedly high end. The French restaurants are much more high end. I, I, I think that people have a tendency to overlook Mexican dining in Epcot as, and I think take it for granted. I, I, I think that for me, it's, it's a fun place. I do love a good margarita and sitting out in the patio. It's, it's might be the best margarita on property. I mean, I'd have to, I'd have to do some taste tests, guys. Let's go down. We'll do a taste test, but I, I'm pretty sure it's the best margarita on property. And uh, for for mine, I think I would uh, be remiss to leave this off the list. Now that uh, Epcot has really, since the reopening of Walt Disney World, become a perpetual festival center to kind of offset the construction. Although, as some of that construction is starting to close up, it looks like this is the new normal. Whatever festival is going on, uh, it doesn't just have to be food and wine. Uh, it can be, you know, art, the Festival of the Arts, um, Flower and Garden. Uh, all these festivals now have such a huge food component that is as big or bigger than food and wine traditionally was. And now food and wine is just kind of an all out spectacular Um so whatever festivals in season when you're there uh, is kind of you're you got you owe it to yourself to do at least, you know, sample a couple booths as your um, as an outdoor dining option at Epcot. Uh, that said, make sure you do your research uh, because, you know, food is expensive at Walt Disney World uh, and the, these festival stands are, are no exception. And since the stuff is more experimental, it does tend to be hit or miss. But every single Disney publication and website that uh, reviews and gives news for stuff in the parks will publish a festival guide or have their festival food reviews, uh, usually to that first day that the festival opens up. So just check out Disney Food Blog is is their traditional one. Um, uh, the Diz at WDW Info also has a very good one. But yeah, just check out some of those. See what the best those sort of sorts of places best of the fest is and. Uh, Enjoy yourself some small plates and some creative drinks, uh, alcoholic and non, from from whatever festival is going on. Uh, Guy, Bub, are either of you big festival guys when you're down there? Uh, so, yeah, we are. We love it. Um, kind of like what you said, too, with the small plates. Trying to try a lot of different stuff that you wouldn't normally have. I mean, when I go down there and they have, like, Beef Wellington or something like that, I know I like that. I don't need to eat that. Um, I find I eat a lot of uh, vegan stuff, a lot of vegetarian stuff, um, you know, just things that I wouldn't normally make, like things that I couldn't make. Even though I'm not going to make a beef Wellington, uh, that's certainly something that I could easily go get all the ingredients for and make it at home. Um, so I try to tend to stick to stuff that I'm like, I would have never thought to do this. 
let's try it. And a lot of the stuff is hit or miss. Um, if you can split stuff, um, which is what I do with Jordana, that's great. It's a great way to kind of knock out a couple of different things. But, I mean, you don't have to be super adventurous, too. You don't have to get things that you know you're not going to like. Uh, but typically speaking, these are all very solid dishes. Um, they're not going to put something on the menu that's disgusting. Uh, there's so many steps to these items getting approved that um, everything goes through. So it's definitely worth being slightly adventurous. Again, nothing that grosses you out, uh, but get out of your comfort zone. Try stuff. Same thing with drinks, too. Just try something different. Uh, that's kind of what you're there for. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to take the opposite approach. I'm going to say stick with what you know. If you like it, eat it. If you're not, then don't. I mean, that's how I feel. That's how I roll every time. Um, so, but seriously, I, food and wine festival is great to just kind of walk around. It's now I will tell you if you're going to food and wine sample, it, it can get expensive very quickly. Um, it, it's not bad, but when you add up 30 different booths at six, seven, eight bucks a plate, it, it does it does have a tendency to run, but like guys said, like Tim would argue, you guys are getting to try a ton of different things doing that. Not necessarily my bag, but certainly um, in the spirit of what we're doing here tonight and certainly something that isn't to be missed on, on the promenade, as it were, Tim. Yeah, I mean, I think I think you got to take guys' advice at least once, Bob. And and because it's only five, six, seven, eight dollars, even if you're you know going to make your stop at the dearly departed electric umbrella now connect connections cafe you know get yourself something with a foam or a, a puree or a, a, a gel just the most out there molecular gastronomy offering of that festival and you know try yourself something with a, a whipped feta and in a, a cilantro jelly uh on, on top of a, a berry sorbet or something just give me a pretzel that's all i'm looking for give me a big bavarian uh, all right pretzel. bob <laughs> All right, what do you uh, what do you got next? Uh, so for me, I'm going to the Baseline Tap House, remarkably, for a Bavarian pretzel over at Hollywood Studios. Uh, this place, low-key, ton of outdoor seating. A ton of outdoor seating at this place. But Tim, this is the type of place, there's no fewer than 18 different drinks on tap here at the Tap House. Uh, spiced almonds, a coffee-rubbed ribeye beef puff. Which maybe I'll try that, Tim, when I go. I'll try the the coffee-rubbed ribeye beef puff. I don't even know what that means. Uh, they do have a charcuterie board option as well. And uh, just really low-key, there's an olive st- – the, the beef does come with an olive salad. But it's only like four or five small plates. This is mostly a place you're going to go to get a drink or pick up one of the pretzels. I just really feel like this is another one of those overlooked places at, at the studios that I'm not even sure people could tell you where it is. If if you say, hey, where, where's the tap house? Go, what? 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 There's a tap house here. Um, so it is kind of over. I, I want to say it's it's quasi near Muppet Vision. Is it, a, it's, it's right. Yeah, it's right as you get into the Muppets area. Yeah, um, it's it's kind of around the corner from it. It's a great little place. It's a great little hidden place. And again, it does not get a lot of love compared to a lot of the, the sit down dining at the studios. So it is one of those kind of hidden gems. Uh, I think of the studio's dining uh, guy. Have you had the pleasure of coming to the baseline tap house? Yeah, actually I went on this. I went in here when I went on a solo trip um, right at the end of the, well, not the end of the pandemic. I'd say once everything reopened up, yeah. um, I went on a solo trip to Disney, ended up strolling in here. 
Um, they have a great beer flight option. I think I did two or three of them. I was actually in there for quite a while. Uh, food's good. Atmosphere's good. Um, it's definitely uh, definitely a place to check out. Again, you probably haven't tried it before. Um, it is kind of hidden, um, and there's so many options kind of around it. But uh, Hollywood Studios doesn't have a great uh, a lot of great quick service options. Uh, this is definitely one of the better ones for sure. Uh, I I also love this place. Uh, I cannot overstate how hidden in plain sight it is. I will say with the weather concerns we we're talking about, this place, as far as I know, has no indoor seating whatsoever. Uh, there is like maybe two high tops that are standing only, and those are really to uh, put your drinks on while you're waiting if you ordered the food options and they weren't able to have that together in time for your, your drinks to get poured. Um, the outdoor seating is awesome, uh, but it is only tree shaded. It is not covered. So if it's raining, you're kind of out of luck with this one. Uh, that said, uh, excellent selection of beers. Uh, pretty much all microbrews from around the country. Obviously, like most of Disney's microbrew programs, centered on the American Southeast and Florida especially. But Florida's got some great beer, especially Central Florida. Uh, they also have uh, wines and ciders on tap. And uh, my understanding is recently they've added some craft sodas in really interesting flavors on tap because this place previously was alcohol beverages only, which wasn't good for families and, and really not good for, for sober uh, people, which is, is becoming a bigger, bigger uh, segment of population is sober, sober curious. So, yeah, this place really hits out of the park as kind of like a, a surprisingly hip option to find inside a theme park to me it feels very much like a a, a micro brew beer garden you'd find in uh new york or boston or um any you know city not something you typically find inside a theme park uh, and its location uh means it's lower traffic even at the absolute peak craziness that is hollywood studios and has been hollywood studios for the past couple of years yeah, for sure. Top of the line place in, in my humble estimation, and I'm glad that you guys do necessarily agree with that. Uh, Guy, a place that I think you've spoken about fairly recently. Yeah, so actually just I touched on it last week. Uh, Geyser Point Bar and Grill at Wilderness Lodge. Uh, I, again, I touched on this hidden gem last week in what was the highest rated quarter hour of our Who Framed Roger Rabbit episode. Uh, this sports bar on Bay Lake is sure to put butts in seats. That's two wrestling references in the last uh, 25 seconds. Uh, but realistically, it is a great spot. Um, it is a great sports bar. Uh, there's a full bar, tons of specialty drinks. You know, you can obviously get anything you like there. Uh, it's right on Bay Lake. There's a lot of quiet little spots for families to sit. Um, but like there was a Yankees game on when we went just a regular season game and, you know, the bar was pretty active. Um, so I can't imagine what a playoff game looks like there. You know, right now you got the NBA finals going on. I'm sure that would be great to watch there. Uh, food menu is kind of basic, but everything's, uh, done really well. Uh, when we went, we got teriyaki wings, which are great. We got crab cakes, which are great. Can't go wrong with crab cakes. Um, it's definitely a spot that you would probably be half having to stay at the hotel to go to. Um, but if you weren't, it wouldn't be a bad idea to seek it out. Again, it's right on Bay Lake. Uh, it's a beautiful, very like tranquil spot to kind of get away on vacation to. Um, a lot of Disney restaurants are super loud. Um, even though this is kind of packed in, 
it really was kind of calm and chill also. So it's kind of got the best of both worlds going for it. Was that a wedding crash reference you snuck in there too? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I'm proud of you, bud. Proud of you. Um, I, Tim, we touched on it last week. I, I think we all think very highly of wilderness lodge in a lot of ways. Um, for me, uh, yeah, I, I think we talked about it uh, quite a bit extensively in <clears throat> the highest rated quarter hour of the episode last week. And guy is right. It will put butts in the seats. And now we promptly changed the channel to watch something to watch McFoley win his first world title. Um, but yeah, no great place. Great spot. And Wilderness Lodge I, hit it on the head. It's it's quieter than most resorts uh, based on I, just I think the theming It's just it's such a beautiful resort um and that's a nice little a nice little place it's not little actually it's a it's a nice nice little re- nice nice restaurant space there at, at uh over at uh, the wilderness lodge tim what about you on this one uh another one that the demo god guy Izzo snatched right off my list glad to see it on here uh this place is awesome uh as as, as already has been said Great food, actually regularly stated by locals and insiders as the best burger on property. And uh, if the dining plan ever comes back, this is another home to a great hack. Uh, as long as you are eating in the outside portion, as we were talking about, uh, your your burger and whatever side it comes with in your beer counts as a quick service meal uh, if you're on that bar slash outdoor side. So it's uh, one of the best uses of a quick service credit on property if, if the dining plan comes back in that form. But other than that, yeah, it's just uh, an awesome, awesome outdoor dining place with a great bar, with great beers uh, and, and a great view. Uh, this is a, a really good place if you aren't staying at the Wilderness Lodge, but you're doing a um, a monorail crawl uh, where you kind of bar, bar, drink around the monorail resorts, hit up Trader Sam's, hit up the bars of the Contemporary uh, and, and hit up the bars of the Grand Floridian, which a lot of people do for adults trips or bachelorette, bachelor type trips. Uh, this is a good place to start off if you don't want to have to do the big dinner reservation dinner uh, to start off at, you know, Steakhouse 71 or Cali Grill or Ohana. Um, and you want to just start with, you know, a burger and a beer and have it be more casual. This is the perfect place to start it and then head to those monorail resorts. So, uh, yeah, I think this is one of the biggest hidden gems uh, within the the parks properties uh, by far. So uh, I think I'd be remiss if we didn't include uh, one of Galaxy Edge restaurants on this list. And uh, since Ronto Roasters is kind of outdoor only, this is one of the best places to grab lunch in Hollywood Studios. Uh, as I touched on, we were talking about um, Baseline Tap House. Uh, Hollywood Studios basically since um, Toy Story Land and Galaxy's Edge fully opened up. has And Mickey and Minnie's, it's kind of been the hot spot of Walt Disney World. And uh, the quick service locations, especially Woody's Lunchbox and uh, Docky Base 7 are always packed. You have to mobile order hours ahead to get your slot and all of that. Uh, Ronto Roasters is a great gab- grab-and-go and while for me personally, the vegetarian Ronto wrap, for whatever reason, at Walt Disney World is far inferior to the West Coast option. Disney, if you take one thing away from this podcast, just bring the West Coast veggie Ronto wrap to the East Coast. Uh, but if you if you grab a Ronto wrap, veggie or regular, uh, you know, any of the specialty drinks they have there or just, uh, you know, one of those Galaxy's Edge sodas, uh, you know, there's covered outdoor seating uh, right up by the counter, and then there's uncovered outdoor seating at the next level of the terrace. 
but this is a quick and easy thing to grab or mobile order where you don't have to plan your day around your quick service meal, which is increasingly with these crowds becoming the norm uh, at Magic Kingdom and Hollywood Studios for the more in-demand quick services. And, and frankly, I think Ronto Roasters, if you're in the mood for a Ronto wrap, is a better option than uh, than uh, Docking Bay 7 sometimes, because uh, those are pretty big, heavy meals to have in the middle of the day at Docking Bay 7. You guys had a, a Ronto wrap before or no? So I, I've never even been to Galaxy's Edge, so I will just say this. Uh, I agree the Ronto Roasters was almost on my list because it is uh, routinely respected as one of the great outdoor dining spots in Galaxy's Edge. And, Guy, go ahead. I know you've been a couple of times. Uh, yes, I actually have had the, uh, the animal-based, we'll call uh, Ronto Wrap, which is really, really good. Um, it is a great space um, in Galaxy's Edge. Uh, very chill. Um you know, I would definitely recommend it as well. Well, Guy is certainly a man of few words tonight, folks. So we are going to move on to my next one on the list, and that is the Abracadabar over at Disney's Boardwalk. Again, I think I'm trying to hit as many of these like hidden gems as we possibly can tonight. Um, this one's a little bit different, very similar to the Tap House, though. Very limited. Uh, you can order from one of the connecting restaurants, or you can get a slice of pizza from the boardwalk pizza window and bring it over and have a drink and sit outside of the Bar as well. Uh, what I do like about this, and I think it's, it's more liking the boardwalk theming and area itself is this is outside of obviously yacht and beach club, which I think would also would, would also work in this instance. It's just, it feels so removed despite the fact that you can see spaceship earth in the distance from the hustle and bustle of the parks. And it's never cl as close to as busy as somewhere like Disney Springs is. I, I just love the boardwalk feel of this place. And I think that's part of the reason I wanted to sneak a boardwalk restaurant slash little lounge walk-up window onto this list, uh, because I don't think enough people respect the boardwalk for what it is. I will tell you, this place, again, tons of, like, magician-themed drinks with funky names. Really, really fun. And you get to take in, like, the, the carnival atmosphere and the, the people riding the, the, the trolley bikes with six different people on them, which are just really the worst things ever invented. Uh, but it's a lot of fun. I really do enjoy the boardwalk. I enjoy Abracadabra. And as well, if, listen, if there was outdoor seating at Jelly Rolls, that would have been that would have made the list, but unfortunately, Jelly Rolls is entirely inside. So, guy, any experience here at the Boardwalk? Yeah, so the Boardwalk is really um, exactly what you would want a theme park Boardwalk to be. Uh, it has all the good stuff, none of the bad. Um, it's a great people watching spot. They always have a ton going on, the little sideshows, things like that. Tons of different good food options. Uh, you definitely can't go wrong here with uh, Abracadabra either, absolutely. Timothy, what about you, bud? I mean, this seems like a bar that's right up your alley. So I'm going to be honest, bub. When I read this in the doc, I legitimately thought this was the new high-end lounge at Grand Floridian. Turns out that's called the Enchanted Rose. I had <laughs> never heard of this place, never I'll knew it existed. I def definitely want to check it out. Uh, yeah. Maybe I if, if I could figure out how to get the time uh, on this family trip that we're, we're taking next week, uh, I'll try to check this place out. But, yeah, I, I've been on the boardwalk before, but I've literally just completely overlooked this place. Uh, I guess your your call of calling it a hidden gem uh, is, is is appropriate. 
So, yeah, I, I got nothing That's... to add here because I just discovered it myself as you talked about it. Yeah, man, it's just this little hole-in-the-wall place. And it doesn't have a ton of outdoor seating. I just stress that. It's, it's got a few tables on either side and some indoor seating as well. But it, it's this little hole-in-the-wall place. It, it's kind, I think it's uh, maybe a door or two down from, from the old Flying Fish big sign. I think it's kind of under that way to the right near the pizza window. So wild stuff. Really highly recommended again. Uh, so So let's see. Tim, where are you taking us next? So this is a little bit of a, uh, in the same vein. Um, I'm taking us to Trader Sam's, but not the indoor part of it, uh, the the terrace. So uh, the indoor part is very, very hard uh, to get a reservation for, or you got to put your name on the wait list and wait forever. Uh, everybody wants to go there, and, and they're not wrong. Uh, easily the best drinks on property overall. And it's you know one of the best tiki bars in the world, uh, but the terrace is a lot easier to get because it doesn't have any of the crazy theming, it doesn't have any of the you know magic that people look for to have that once in a lifetime experience that you get from you know drinking and dining indoors at Trader Sam's. But what you do get is you're kind of up on a platform overlooking that gorgeous pool area of uh, the Polynesian at night when it's all lit up after it's closed and past that the beach and the fireworks uh, at the Polynesian. And also it's just a lot easier to get a reservation here, but it's the exact same food menu, those exact same awesome small plates of Hawaiian and Asian uh, influenced food and that world-class, truly incredible drink menu all available also. So this is probably the easiest way to experience Trader Sam's if you don't want to, you know, fight people for the wait list and the reservations and also uh, to take in the beautiful atmosphere of the Polynesia itself rather than that kind of kitschy, over-the-top, tiki uh, bar experience on the inside that can get very crowded and loud um, if, if you're looking for a more chill night and still want the Trader Sam's experience. Either of you guys ever done Trader Sam's or... Uh, done Trader Sam's outdoors even? So I haven't had a chance to do either. Uh, Trader Sam's, like you said, is, is super hard to get into. Um, if you're not staying on property, it's really a crapshoot to kind of go over there and kind of wait list yourself on there, depending on how long you're going to be there, especially going with kids. Um, the lounge area, like you said, does look awesome. Uh, the views look great. It seems like a great place to go. Um, especially if you were going and trying to get, you know, a, a table over at Ohana, um, and instead of kind of hanging out inside, maybe you go an hour early and you, you hang out here instead, get to kind of enjoy the weather when it's cooperating. Uh, definitely doesn't seem like a bad idea. No, no, Tim, I will tell you, you are not the first person to give me this tip. Um, so I, I've never, again, it's not a secret. I'm not a huge Polly fan I, uh, on this show. Um, and I have uh, dabbled at the Jungle the Skipper Canteen there, the Jungle Skipper Canteen over in Magic Kingdom. Um, so it, similar concept, sister restaurant type thing. But you're absolutely right. I hear nothing but great things about sitting outside at the terrace uh, at Trader Sam's as being the way to experience it compared to getting a reservation in, in, in the restaurant itself. So that's a, that's a free tip for a lot of different people that maybe didn't know that already because it, it is the much easier way. And in fact, I would argue a lot of the full, the full service restaurants that table services that do have bars, 
that is your best way to experience it. It's the case at Space 220. If you go up to go to the bar, you can order from the menu, but they don't necessarily advertise it that way. Um, so uh, that's no, the, Nomad the Lounge in Animal Kingdom is the same Correct. thing. Yep. It's uh, just a, a lot, a of, lot of these hard to get signature dinings. Uh, yep. They have an outdoor, indoor bar space that's usually the same name lounge, and that's Walk up only, and that that's a great tip, Bub. Also, uh, bu- uh, guy, you brought up something that I I don't think about, but is really important to state. Uh, Trader Sam's, I believe, opens at five, and from five to eight, uh, anybody can go. Families, kids always have to have an adult with them. Uh, but after eight p.m., uh, it, no exceptions, no kids. It is twenty-one plus only. It is one of the very few spaces on property. It might only be here and the Edison that uh, go to a, a, a no kids policy. Maybe some of the places on the boardwalk. Jelly Rolls, I think, also does. But anyway, uh, I know for a fact is, yep. Trader Sam's uh, eight p.m. Uh, if, if you have kids. You either need to have them uh, with somebody else in childcare, someplace else, because they they're not going to make an exception and let them in here. So just plan accordingly if this is something that you do want to uh, check out uh, on your next trip. So well, speaking of plan accordingly, uh, my next spot is Woody's Lunchbox. Um, this is the type of place that if you're planning on eating lunch at noon, you better order at 10 o'clock. Um, even that might not be early enough. Um, this is such a crowded spot, but the food is great, especially for what it is for the quick service. You kind of can't beat it. Um, the seating outdoors is kind of limited. Um, so it's kind of uncomfortable to eat there because there's always going to be vultures watching your every move, uh, waiting for you to get up so they can kind of scoop in and grab that table. Um, cause they are very limited. Uh, the food options though are great though, and more than make up for it. Um, the briskets, the brisket sandwich is very well known, very popular. Uh, they also have the tachos there. Uh, same thing, very delicious. It's kind of very upscale lunchroom food feel almost. It's definitely not fancy. Um, they have their uh, specialty kind of Pop-Tarts too, which are great, kind of like a little dessert. Um, those are good to split. Um, are either of you guys super familiar with uh, Woody's Lunchbox? Yeah, absolutely. This is uh, definitely top three quick services on property for me, if not number one or two. Uh, the sandwiches are great. The tachos are great. One of the few places where, for me, there's just a ton of vegetarian options, including they make a completely vegan version of the tachos if you want with vegan sour cream, vegan cheese, and the vegan chili on it. I just get them with the vegetarian chili. But awesome, awesome, awesome. Guy, you're kind of understating when you say seating is limited. I do not know what they were thinking when they built this place. Like, I don't know if they thought it wasn't going to be as popular as it was, but there's literally like eight tables half of which are two tops and the mm-hmm. rest of which are four tops here. This place seats maybe 28 people uh, and there's no standing room. Uh, so this, it, it has just been bedlam. Uh, Rachel and I, our last trip had no idea about that it had gotten so bad. And then you had to uh, put your mobile order in uh, three hours early if you wanted to eat between 12 and two o'clock. Uh, and we were just, basically turned away by the person. Luckily, we had a second Hollywood Studios day because this is one of our favorites. But uh, plan accordingly. Uh, and and just if, as long as you remember to put your order in the morning, it is certainly worth it. 
uh, because this is one of the best quick services on property by far. And in pretty much everything they make there is, is a is a hit out of the park. It's junk. Everything about this location is crap. The food is fine. The food is very good. And you guys are absolutely correct. It is absolutely uh, universally beloved as one of the great quick serve restaurants in this park. Nay, in the on the entire property. No doubt about that. The fact that Imagineers said, hey, let's put a virtual food truck with three tables in that land. And I understand they're making the restaurant eventually the little barbecue place. They're, they're doing that. I, I get it. I am anxious just talking about it. That's how that's how busy this this portion of Toy Story Land is. I'm anxious thinking about it. And I, I, I can't, I, I can't begin to tell you how much this was a giant misstep on their end, that they didn't do something more expansive. And I get it. Toy Story Land is, is supposed to be Andy's backyard. It's supposed to be, I, I get all the design aesthetics. This needed to be in Walt Disney, one man's dream and connected and take it out. That's what this, this cannot support uh, no offense, uh, people aren't getting up, and or they are actually getting up at 8 a.m. and ordering their food. That is actually true, but th- that I shouldn't have to do that to order a, a, a brisket grilled cheese. I, I shouldn't have to. I'm sorry. It, I, I find it absolutely insane that I have to get up or order my food four hours in advance from a glorified food truck. Discounting the fact that it is the best quick serve restaurant in this park, I don't disagree with that. What I'm saying to you is the process of getting this food blows my freaking mind that this is what they decided to do with it. That's all. Yeah, I wonder if they had no idea that this was going to be as popular as it was, because I think if they did, it really should have like a Cosmic Rays, Pecos Bills size footprint. And it would probably turn those tables all day long because people go nuts for every single every single dish here is somebody's favorite dish in the park. And there's uh, no other options in Toy Story Land either. You can get popcorn. You can get like a frozen package ice cream. That's it. There's no other food options, you know, within 2,500 feet. Yeah, no. And I mean, it Hollywood Studios is not the world's greatest place for quick service. Despite the fact that it has a ton of quick services, they are on the whole, other than the two in Galaxy's Edge, very mediocre. So that means when you have the best quick service on all of property, it's just going to even intensify this situation more. So it feels kind of weird to end this section on our favorite outdoor dining spots uh, on such a sour, bittersweet note. But uh, I am sorry that I had to do that. But at the end of the day, it's it's the truth that people need to be prepared for it. Yeah, it's not an easy thing to get food from here. But I think I think we can go on to treats. Now I'm excited to talk about treats. I'm gonna blow your mind. We're gonna change up how we've done this episode because I think treats doesn't need to be as in-depth as our outdoor dining segment. So I'm just gonna give you the three treats that I think you absolutely have to try the next time you are down at the parks. Then Guy and Tim can go and we'll talk about them if we want to. Uh, for me, there's you have to try the gelato from Disney Springs over at uh, Vivolio Gelato right across from the uh, stage where they have like the local musicians playing. Highly recommend the mint chocolate chip. It is fantastic. And on a hot day walking around the springs, nothing beats a little gelato. Um, then... I'm going 
now this one's tricky. I did find it on a, uh, an article dated this year uh, of May of 2022, but the Peter Pan float over at Storybook Treats is a uh, key lime soft serve ice cream uh, poured with, uh, with Sprite poured over it out of this world. I think you can actually get it if it's not on the menu. I think you can kind of order it based on the ice cream flavoring and put Sprite in it. it it'll do the same thing. I can't stress enough how refreshing that is. You can always get it at the Poly because they always have lime Dole Whip at the Poly because they need it for a couple of the drinks. So even yeah. if it's off the menu at Magic Kingdom, you could always get it at yeah. the uh, Poly Dole Whip locations. Yeah. They knocked that one out of the park when they came up with that idea with the key, with the lime ice cream and the Sprite. It, it was so refreshing, remarkably refreshing. And then I, this one's newer. It, it's in one of the newer uh, France areas. Um, it is the Brioche ice cream sandwich. It is a brioche bun, and they split it. They put ice cream in it, and then they heat, seal it shut, and you eat it like an ice cream sandwich. Delectable. I can't stress enough how great that is. Those are my three treats that you have to try the next time you're down at the parks. I Listen, I don't know if you guys have had the experience. Tim, it sounds like you understand what I'm saying about the key lime shake, though. It, that is The Peter Pan drink is out of this world. Yeah, I I try to do the Peter Pan every time. It's one of those ones that's perpetually on and off the menu in the Magic Kingdom, but it's always one they go back to multiple times a year because it is so popular. Uh, And a lot of the other Dole Whip floats they do at uh, Storybook Treats don't ever come back, but this one always does. And that brioche ice cream sandwich is uh, is a banger. I uh, definitely they have some really good flavors of uh, ice cream for it and, and the warm, fluffy, sweet bread with that cold creamy ice cream center is a really unique treat that you're not really going to find anywhere else other than there uh my three are the rum blossom or either beer that's specifically brewed for there at uh pangu pangu there in pandora right in between um the gift shop and uh satuli canteen uh, Rum Blossom is just an awesome frozen drink with a lot of unique uh, flavors. I believe it's dragon fruit and um, some some kind of tropical citrus. And then the beers are both uh, a hoppier beer. One's an amber and one I believe is bright green. Uh, one of them is a little bit spiced and the other one's fruited. Both are excellent. Uh, other than that, and I can say this now because I, I believe it is finally definitively open for good. Uh, people from the New England and places that have good pizza, love to talk about how bad the pizza is while at Disney World, but pretty much across the board, they'll make the exception for one spot, and that's Via Napoli, and uh, kind of a hard um, a hard reservation to get and kind of a, a big ordeal to sit down and get the pizza and all that, but the pizza window is open again, so you can walk on up, get yourself a slice of cheese, a slice of pepperoni, or a slice of margarita, and uh, that is a great way to get pizza by the slice. That's not horrible, puffy, crusted uh, theme park pizza monstrosity. So uh, that's a great grab and go if you're not doing the festival thing or the uh, Mexican quick service at Epcot. And last but not least is the cookie equivalent or the snack equivalent. I guess I kind of gave it away of uh, Woody's Lunchbox. You got to get yourself a oh, Gideon's absolutely. cookie. Uh it is the only treat that requires a virtual queue reservation on property. Uh, I didn't believe the hype, uh, but we were down there shortly after it opened. Uh, we joined the the line. It was a day when there it was a weekday and there wasn't a virtual queue. Uh, my mother is a fantastic baker who, who who sells her cookies professionally for weddings and holidays and stuff. 
And uh, these cookies are a whole nother level, even compared to hers. Uh, they are huge. Uh, I think one cookie is over a thousand calories. Uh, they're made from like a softball sized ball of dough. You probably want to split that one cookie with your whole family. Uh, they also have strict purchase limits. I believe it's six cookies per day per person so that they every, as many people as possible get a chance. Uh, all the flavors are insane uh, from their regular chocolate chip to their Frankenstein, which is their rarest uh, seasonal cookie that's only available for a couple weeks in October. And then they occasionally will have one day where they surprise drop it on people. Uh, but yeah, uh, get yourself a Gideon's cookie. Cannot say enough about this. And, uh, you know, if you're going to have a Disney Springs day, join the virtual queue, get your name on the list. And when you, you get the text, go wait in the line for the little bit. And it, it's totally worth it. And you can, you can bring the cookies home. They freeze well. And, uh, yeah, that, that anybody had good Gideon's. Yeah, Tim, no doubt about it. I have, listen, it's on my short list of places. It has opened since the last time I went, so I will have to check it out. The slice from Via Napoli and the rum blossom, my God, it knocked it out of the park, Tim. Both, all, all three, again, uh, just top of the line stuff. And, and I, the rum blossom drink, I, I don't know if enough people sleep. I think too many people sleep on it, Tim. On the Rum Blossom, it is a, a fantastic, what a refreshing little drink you can get over there. So, a, again, and, and you rave about Pangu Pangu. It, it's your, or the Satuli Cantina, sorry, and Pangu Pangu is one yeah, of Yeah, yeah, I, I, I love all that Avatar food, but yeah, no, we're big Pangu Pangu people also, so. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, so you can't go wrong with Via Napoli either. That place has a special uh, place in my heart. Uh, me and friend of the show, Jordana Izzo. Uh, that's actually right around where we got engaged. We got engaged at uh, in front of St. St. Mark's Bell Tower over in the Italy Pavilion. And then we went and had Via Napoli. So always definitely uh, kind of a special place for me. Uh, but, yeah you, yeah. you didn't put it on your list as your favorite treat, guy. I don't... I, yeah, you know, I didn't because I assumed someone else would have it on there. And I was kind of very Magic, Magic Kingdom centric with my list. Uh, so getting into my list, enough with the mushy stuff. Uh, the first thing I have on the list is uh, the Make Your Own Popcorn over on Main Street, uh, the confectionery. Um, this is something I didn't think I would be into. Um, it, it's great. Um, I sent Jordana and I'm like, just get whatever you want. And she got sweet on top of sweet on top of sweet. I'm like, this is going to be disgusting. And then we're wrestling each other for the bag of it. Um, it is a, a crap load of popcorn. We ended up taking it back to the room, sticking it in the fridge. You know, every morning, <laughs> quick pick me up, have a little handful. It we threw, we ended up throwing away half the bag still. Um, so for fourteen dollars, you could definitely have you know a, a family of five or six eat on it and and probably not finish it. Uh, my next one on the list is also in Magic Kingdom. Um, it's usually open for you know busy times only, but nowadays that's every time. I was there in February, it was open, and then this last trip in June, it was open again. Um, that's the spring roll cart um, over in Adventureland. Uh, the cheese burger egg roll is not to be missed. It is absolutely delicious. Uh, it comes with like kind of a Big Mac sauce on the side. Um, it's the perfect little snack, not too much. Um, they do have a 50th anniversary, you're like Reuben one, which you know isn't my bag, but I'm sure I'm sure it's good if that's what you're into. Uh, but the cheeseburger one, there's always a decent line, but it's never too bad. And again, it's the perfect snack. Nothing too heavy. Um, really great. 
Um, and then the last thing on my list is uh, the Viking Coffee over in Norway. So this is kind of the perfect follow-up to uh, that margarita you're gonna have in Mexico. It doesn't really feel like you're putting down a real heavy drink here. It just feels like a delicious iced coffee. Um, I believe there's Bailey's and Kahlua in it. Um, but again, it just tastes like a regular iced coffee. It's kind of a nice break between what you're gonna get and the rest of the world showcase. Um, definitely another thing I would recommend. Um, and kind of really the only good thing that you can get in Norway as far as drinking, if you are gonna knock down that list of drinking around the world. An iced coffee from Norway is how we're going to end our special treats and outdoor dining segment. And I'm I'm here for it. I mean, I don't drink coffee yet. I, I for whatever reason, never, never really took off. But I hear nothing but good things, guy, about it. And the, the Main Street popcorn is fantastic, top of the line. And, Tim, I you seem like a popcorn guy. I am not actually a popcorn guy. Uh, here's my big Disney confession. Uh, when I was at Tokyo Disney... In January of 2020, it was the first time I had ever had popcorn at a Disney park. Was that that flavored popcorn at uh, Tokyo Disney? I have to this day never had as much as a kernel of popcorn in the United States Disney parks. That's our show for this week, everybody. Please be sure to give a listen to all of our previous episodes, which are available on your preferred listening platform. If you have any questions or comments or hate mail for Tim on never having popcorn in his life at Disney Parks, please feel free to reach out to us at the Disney Guys Uncensored at gmail.com. If you like what you hear, the best way to support us is tell a friend that you do enjoy the show. And finally, Tim... My best to Rachel. I know she lost a very dear friend in the Galaxy Roller Rink in Groton, Connecticut this past weekend. Uh, and as always, thanks for listening to the Disney Guys Uncensored, where we will make sure Tim gets that first bite of delicious American-side popcorn. Good night, everybody. Good night.